Have you been around someone that just has a different level of positive impact on the outcome towards a goal? The difference between perhaps winning and losing on a team. This person has a higher level of situational awareness and has a unique ability to adapt to their environment. As a result, this person raises the bar on the overall performance of a team or an organization by the way that they integrate themselves and drive things forward. Maybe you are this team member, or maybe you are in a leadership position and you can identify people that you influence on your teams that could be this person. How can we create and foster an environment that this kind of player can truly thrive? What are the characteristics of the kind of person that creates this level of impact? Today, I spoke with Liz Weissman, and she's back on the podcast after a couple years, and we had a great conversation about impact players. Here at The One Thing, we're all about purpose first. Purpose helps inform the things you should prioritize. And if you know what you should say yes to, you can live a life of productivity towards the goals that you set for yourself and for your organization. So if you like what you hear on this podcast and many of the others, and you're interested in how you can bring the principles, the concepts, the tools behind the one thing to your everyday life or to your business, check out theonething.com. We are running a monthly workshop we call the One Thing Foundations. Here, you can learn to bring these principles and tools to your everyday life. And if you enter promo code podcast at checkout, you will get $100 off this amazing workshop. Now let's go talk to Liz Weissman about impact players. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We are lucky to have Liz Weisman on the podcast with us. And Liz, if you don't know, is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Multipliers, which is a fantastic book, and the Wall Street Journal bestsellers, Rookie Smarts and Impact Players, her latest. She is a former corporate executive who now works as a management researcher, executive advisor, and is CEO of the Weisman Group. Liz, thank you so much for being here again on the One Thing Podcast. (laughs) Oh, Chris, it's my absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, I was telling you, thank you again. I was telling you before we jumped on how much I really appreciated Multipliers. I thought it was a wonderful book. Well, you know, it was it was a fun book to work on and write. And, you know, one of the things that when you write a book that no one really tells you is you're going to be working on that book for the rest of your life. And it is in some ways my life's work. And so I'm glad that it had an impact. I, I get that. I mean, here at The One Thing, we're 10 years into the release of that book next month, and we we talk about it every week, every day. So I understand where you're coming from. Awesome. Well, Multipliers focused on the impact of leaders and the, the ability of that leader to, I guess, have a net greater influence on the people they're surrounded by, and like by definition, a multiplier. And, and recently, you released, in the last year or so, I believe, uh, your latest book, which is impact players. And I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that and like, what does an impact player mean? Or how would you like to find an impact player on a team? Well, this concept is not mine. I borrowed it from the sports world. You know, this idea mm-hmm. of an impact player is someone on a team who not only is talented and capable and makes an extraordinary contribution themselves, they're the kind of people who raise a level of play on a team. Like teams play better because of them. They're these they're these sort of informal leaders inside organizations. And you know, the we've all seen impact players make a difference on a field, but the world of work has impact players as well. You know, these are the kind of people that you turn to when the stakes are high, the kind of people who are going to come through and get the job done, not not necessarily to showboat, but to kind of secure a win for a team. And I became fascinated by this really as a byproduct of my work on multipliers. You know, I had spent a dozen years helping leaders show up with the right kind of mindsets and practices that would allow people on their team to play bigger. You know, like how do you create an environment as leader where people can show up and play big? and contribute at their fullest. And, you know, in doing that, it, you know, it's pretty clear to see that the way a leader shows up matters. Absolutely. It matters, but so does the way the team member shows up. And so I started to look at like, what are the mindsets and practices that cause some people to be really impactful while others get stuff going through the motions 
And in some Mm. ways, what I was looking at is, you know, in a room full of equally smart, hardworking, talented people, why are some people kind of stuck going through the motions where other people are, are making a huge difference? And so I was trying to understand what's the mental game behind those difference makers. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. What really stood out as the top characteristics in the mental game for the people making the greatest impact? Well, if I could boil it down, I was just going to see if I could boil it down <laughs> to one thing. And then it sounded like I was pandering. But really, mm-hmm. if, if I could kind of distill it to its essence, it was how they handled uncertainty and ambiguity. Because here's what I saw. So the study that my team and I did is we looked at one, we, we talked to 170 managers and asked them to identify someone on their team who was smart, capable, hardworking, who was doing a fine job. I came to call those people ordinary contributors. Again, not low performers, just rock solid contributors. And then we asked them to identify someone that they had led or were leading who was no, no more smart, no more capable, no more hardworking, but who was making an extraordinary difference, doing work of inordinate value. And what we found is that these, or I'm going to start with the ordinary contributors, if if you will, is what we found is the ordinary contributors, they, they were good at their job. The, the manager said they were like brilliant at their job. They, they followed direction. They took responsibility. They took ownership for things. They were focused. They carried their weight on teams. And as I'm looking at that profile, the ordinary contributor, I'm like, well, that that seems pretty good. I mean, that seems like in some ways the ideal team member and contributor. And what I began to see is that their way of working was stellar in ordinary times. Mm. Things are stable when they're certain, when it's clear what needs to be done, when it's clear who's in charge, when um, you know the goals are in sight. But as soon as the work started to get ambiguous, chaotic, uncertain, when there's a lot of collaborators, but no clear leader, when there are messy problems that don't seem to be this department's job or that department's job or his job or her job, but like, yet it's important. And when unforeseen obstacles are dropping in the path, when targets are changing and budgets are changing and the environment is changing and markets are moving, like when the world is unstable, that's when the impact players really show up. And it's because of how they see and handle uncertainty. In some ways, it's, I don't know if I would say they thrive in uncertainty. I'm not sure most of us thrive, but they move toward it and take charge of it when other people are holding back and maybe Mm. waiting waiting for someone else to provide clarity. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say it's it's that distinction between kind of pull back and wait, wait for direction, wait for structure versus the inclination to just lean into the uncertainty and start solving. Like where is the challenge? Where's the like the heat, the red zone, like the the area that needs the most attention, like identifying that and really leaning into it and starting to create solutions. Yeah, you mentioned heat, and there were several kind of visual metaphors that came up as I was looking at all the data. One was about heat. It's these impact players are heat seeking. They're looking for 
what's hot, what are hot issues, hot projects, um, hot buttons, and they're putting themselves like where there's movement and momentum. That was one. The other image that kept coming to me over and over was uh, the image of a wave. Now I live, I live on a coast and, um, you know, it's this feeling of when you're standing on the coast, you know, you're in the surf right there and a big wave comes in and what do you do? Now I have to admit my inclination, despite the fact that I am a native Californian, you know, kind of always lived near a coast is when I see a big wave coming in, it's to hightail it out of there. It's to back up, to move away from that wave. And, and you know, you know what happens. You turn your back on the wave. The wave crashes on you. It tumbles you. You eat some sand. You know, you get tossed in the surf. You pull yourself back up just in time for like another wave to come. And I think there's a lot of people who work this way, which is like, oh, this thing is big. It's more powerful than me. I'm going to pull away from it. But they end up constantly tossed and tumbled. And then I think of um, what experienced ocean swimmers do, what surfers do, what my son does is when a big wave comes in, something that looks like it might kind of take you down. Rather than back away, they dive in and they dive through that wave and get to the other side where there's some calm and stability and where there's fun, obviously. Um yeah. And that I think is one of the fundamental differences is do you dive into the chaos and take control of it and like use that energy or do you back away and end up just thrashing constantly? Mm, that it reminded me there's there's an analogy that I've I've heard recently I forgot about and it's it's the buffalo and their ability to charge into the storm uh versus run away from it because they've evolved to understand that they charge into the storm. It's a shorter route through than to run from it, like the wave and it ultimately catches them. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've heard that very same thing recently and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's very much the way of the impact player, the Buffalo versus the cow who kind of Mm. goes with the storm and you end up staying in it longer and miserable. But yeah, it's like, it's charging the storm, not doing things that are irresponsible, but it's about like understanding that we have a lot more control than it seems. Absolutely. And I, do you see it being also action oriented and choosing to take when possible as calculated as, as possible, but choose to be action oriented versus kind of pull back and wait, kind of wait to see it's, it's more like it's better to take action and figure it out and just start solving than it is to wait for things to develop. Yeah, I think it is action orientation, but it's not a hyperactivity. Mm. It's not like, okay, come on, do, 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 do there. You know, one of the things that was just stunning in this research was seeing that these ordinary contributors were people who were working really hard. They're doing their job. They're active. They're, they're, they're busy, but they're not necessarily working on the right things, or they're so focused on doing their job that they don't see that there's actually a different job that needs to be done. And that was one of the big differences. The ordinary contributors do their job while the impact players are doing the job that's needed. So it is, it's active, but I would probably say it's more about taking charge than taking action. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, there's the the traditional business planning and strategy, and you've got your your goals. Maybe you're breaking them down quarterly, perhaps monthly, like this. And there's almost a, a potential flaw in that traditional approach, if you think about it from this context, because you're you're building this this plan, forecasting. You can't see over the horizon, and if you're in a position or you're you're taking the position of I'm just going to work that plan, you're not attracted enough to the things you need to solve in the short term, perhaps? Do you see there being a, a little bit of a conflict there? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the the five, so the fundamental difference is really about how impact players manage ambiguity and uncertainty and this ability to move toward it and take charge. And then we found that there were these five practices that really differentiated them. And one of them was what they do when the environment is changing and 
you know, we found that the ordinary contributors are focused. They're focused on goals. They stay focused on goals. It's like you give them a goal and you're like, okay, I'm bringing in this revenue. I'm, you know, turning around this customer. I'm getting this project across the finish line. They're they're acting and they're doing and they're focused. The impact players seem to have a different orientation. It's a little bit more like um, a chameleon that's adapting and changing to its environment. It's not that they're not goal-focused. It's that they understand that that needs to be dynamic. It's it's like this idea of, um, so I'm one of these people who checks my email first thing in the morning. And I know every productivity <laughs> how expert. How dare you? In, yes, how dare me? Like every productivity <laughs> expert in the world, anyone worth their salt, would say that that is not the first thing you should do. It is the first thing I should do. Um, Not that I should do. It's the first thing that I do. But let me kind of push on that a little bit. Um, It's like the impact players finish up a day of work. They go to sleep and they wake up in the morning with the assumption that while they were sleeping, the world has changed, which is why I like to look at email first thing in the morning. I'm like, gee, while I was sleeping, like, what happened? Did we have a global economic meltdown? You know, did this happen? I like to just orient myself into like, what's going on in the world today? Now, I'm not suggesting that's a good practice for anyone else, but it is this kind of mindset of, I'm not going to just pick up on Tuesday what I left off doing on Monday. I'm going to constantly be scanning for what's relevant right now. Like, should the goals change? Should we shift? Like, where should we put our energy? What is the like? What is the thing to be done right now? Now that doesn't show up as flip flopping. Like, okay, I'm working on this today. I'm working on that. It's just constantly looking for how do I adjust and adapt to make sure I'm working on what's relevant. That my work mm. is relevant. That I'm constantly hitting the mark in an environment where the target seems to be constantly shifting. Oh, that makes sense. It, it, in the context of a sports team, that's let's say like an impact player, like a Michael Jordan, that the, the goal is to win the NBA championship. However, week over week, maybe a player gets injured. There's a, a defense you're going against that has a particular skill set that's different. You have to adjust your plan. And that is that the distinction to make? Because it's still valuable to know like we there's what winning looks like directionally on the horizon where we want to go, but don't be so oriented on like the smaller breakdown and the the plan that you have built because the plan needs to change based on the environment. Yeah. And, or like take it to um, like American football and a receiver who runs a route. Like you obviously have to have a discipline of running routes. Okay. I'm going to run 30 yards down. I'm going to cut to the right. I'm going to go, you know, five yards and then I'm going to go diagonal. And then I'm going to put myself in a position to catch the ball. Like that's the play. Right. I don't know that that is any particular route, but I'm just like, they run the route and we need people to do that. But you also need someone who's paying attention to how the play is evolving on the field. Like, Mm. oh, conditions change. Like I could run my route and not be in the right position to make the catch. And so it's having all of that structure and discipline, but paying attention to what's the developing play. And, you know, like there's a, you know, kind of across a lot of sports, this is sense of like some players just know where to position themselves to make plays. I love that. Yeah, and that's it, the impact player, right? First, sorry to interrupt you, but versus the, go back to the route analogy. I played football for a number of years, so I love I love that one. But that person's just going to run the the non-impact player, the rock, the rock star, the rock solid player is going to run that same route the same way every time. That's what you can rely on them to do. But the the impact player will recognize that the quarterback now is scrambling, and you have to, you can't run the same route. You have to adapt, and so it's the those two different players have different values, but the impact player is the one that adapts to the situation. Yeah, it reminds me of time when I was in high school and I played field hockey, and um, we had learned this kind of dodge technique, this ball handling technique, and it was during a game, <laughs> and I executed this technique absolutely perfectly. It's like dribble down, like move to the right, dodge to the, like dribble to the left, dodge to the right, go around a player. And I did it so perfectly. My coach afterwards pulls me that she's like, Liz, that was amazing, but there was no defender in your way. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, like I ran the play, like, oh, that's what we were taught to do. But I wasn't really paying attention to like what was actually going on on the field. It was rote rather than this adaptive energy. And that's, you know, it's really about paying attention, paying attention to what's happening in the world, your world, your boss's world, your colleague's world, and and placing yourself in in a position to be valuable. Mm, well said. It's like it, there's an awareness that you need to have, a situational awareness, like a like a, a vision and, a, and kind of see things coming and also being curious enough to know perhaps other people's perspectives of how things mm-hmm. are shaping so that you can you know, view the world from their lens. Yeah. It's almost like a, a situational awareness, a spatial awareness, an emotional awareness. And like, yeah. And you could see that you could, sorry, you could see that like perhaps on the surface is being like exhausting. Like, geez, I don't, I mean, I just need to, here's who I am. Here's what I do and move. But it's kind of like that can be misdirected time and effort. It's like an investment to have that level of awareness because you'll go further and be more dynamic. So it's like resisting that tendency to not want to put that work up front to be that aware, huh? And Chris, I want to talk about a little part of the research that I didn't write about much in the book. I decided not to focus on this. The book really focuses on the difference between ordinary contributors and impact players. But there is another component of this research where we asked managers to identify, in addition to those two characters, if you will, we asked them to identify someone who was an under-contributor. Now, this is different than a low performer. This is not someone who can't like find their way out of a bag and get, you know, like it's it's not someone who's not capable, not working hard. It's someone who was smart and capable and hardworking, who was surprisingly not creating, not making a big contribution. Kind of the enigmas. We're like, man, that person should be a superstar. And what I found when I looked at that profile were really smart action-oriented, hardworking, passionate, go-getter people who are a little bit clueless. Like they're the ones who are like, the whole team is charging one way and they're kind of moving in the other direction. They're the kind of people who are like working hard, pushing things, kind of convicted about stuff, but can't figure out why nobody's listening to them. And it was because they were doing their thing Mm -hmm. rather than the thing. And that to me was kind of a bit of a a, a travesty. It's like all these people who are so capable and are trying so hard, but don't see that they're not doing the thing. And like, what if we could channel that energy and just with a little bit of situation, it's kind of like you want to rattle them a little bit and say, you know what, you're working hard, but it's not about you. Like if you can put your focus on your client your team, your boss, like, and use that energy, you are going to get so much more. You're going to create more value for others and you will receive so much value back. It's such a different perspective, but they're just a few degrees apart, but the impact that, that the difference in impact is, is miles, but it's just a little switch flip to invest that same level of energy over here versus over there. Absolutely. That's interesting. And I, I've, I, from my own experience, have been a part of that and hope to have not been that myself. But I've definitely seen that before where you have someone, even in sports analogies, you have someone on a team who is an absolute A-plus player, but they just don't jive with the team's overall mission, strategy, collective movement, and it becomes a detractor for the team. And so you have this superstar on the team that should just be absolutely knocking it out of the park, but somehow can't get with the program. So then you're in, as a, as a leader, you're in a position like, okay, well, can I expose them to what they need to be exposed to so they can cross over this, this line and get with it? And it's, it's a crapshoot if you can do that even on your best day. Yeah. And they're not, their impact is not neutral in many ways. It's negative Negative. because the the resentment that is built up because they're actually pulling force away from the team. They're mm. detractors. They they bring negative value and so many can't see like how to get in that slipstream of value. It's, it's true. I mean, it goes back to the old 80-20 principle. You end up spending 80% of your time on that 
20%, that, that smaller group trying to get them course corrected instead of inverting that and spending your time on the, the highest impact because it takes so much to get them. You don't want to lose them because you see the potential. So you want to make the investment, but they're not getting with the program. And it's how do you identify that, take the action you need to take as quickly as possible and make a decision so you're not, you know, putting those resources in the wrong place. Mm. Yeah. So what if we have identified someone is an impact player and we we see those characteristics you you outlined so well, well, how can we foster an environment to have them thrive? Like what are some things we can do to make sure we're getting out of their way or helping them get out of their own way? Well, you know, I think getting out of their way is is one of it. Um, you know, the environment that impact players need. Well, first of all, what some of the impact players that I studied, I wrote about are people who are going to show up this way regardless of how their managers operate. Like even, you know, you kind of put them on a team with a bad manager and they're still going to figure out what's important. They're going to kind of make up for it. But, you know, for most of us, our impact rises and falls based on the quality of leadership and the environment and the team that we're on. That's the bulk of the people. And you know, if you want people to show up and work this way, I guess if we go back to the sports metaphor, and and I really haven't found a manager who's read the impact players book who hasn't said, oh my goodness, how do I get more (laughs) of these people on their team? It is, it is the universal reaction, which is like, not only do I want to find these people, I want to get a whole team of people like this. Well, for starters, you have to be the kind of manager or coach that an impact player would want to work for. Mm. You know, an impact player is not going to want to work for someone who um, keeps them in a box, who suppresses them, who tells them what to do. And and the environment that we find um, they thrive in is I could describe it in two words. And in some ways it's boiling down multipliers to the two things. <laughs> I can't boil <laughs> it down to one thing. Well, maybe I could, but if I'd boil multipliers down to like two ideas, the leaders who bring out the best in others create an environment of safety and trust and 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 stretch. I'm sorry, I misspoke on that. I I I I act as a spoiler alert. That's kind of the one thing is that yeah. you know, it's sort of an environment of trust, but that they create safety meaning they make it safe for people to speak out. They make it safe for people to step up. They make it safe for people to let go of a project that's no longer important to work on something that's more important. They make it safe for people to try new things. They, you know, make it safe um, for people to uh, hold on to ownership, even when things are big and hard. So they create safety, but the managers who have impact players on the team also create stretch, meaning they don't let people just sit comfortably within the bounds of their job. They don't let someone sit on the sidelines when they're needed as leaders. They don't let people hand problems back to them. They they create stretch goals, stretch challenges. They they let people sit in discomfort. But they can, they can do that and they can ask people to do that because they've created enough safety. And so it's, in some ways, if you want impact players on your team, you know, be the kind of coach people would want to play for and create an environment of safety and stretch. That's so good. And, and those two things work together so well, because if you don't feel like you can fail and learn, you won't put yourself in scenarios that challenge you at a high enough level that you can get that stretch and you can get that goal or hit those goals. And then as a leader, it's stretching enough so that you're putting someone in that, that growth zone, but you're not letting them become discouraged or pushing so hard, um, that they, they become, I guess they pull back and they, they, they don't continue to grow. So it's just finding that, that, that perfect balance of, Hey, what are your interests? Like, where do you want to grow? Like, what are your strengths? What are the, the, organization's goals and direction, combining those things and just the right, that sweet spot of pushing them enough yeah. uh, to the place they want to go. Um, but I think there's also that component of you have to be aware enough of like what that person wants and like where they are today and where they want to get to. So you can make sure that that's considerate in the growth area. 
Well, Chris, I absolutely agree with you. And I think it is one of the the master skills of leaders is knowing how to set stretch right. Mm. You know, like what is the stretch that that person needs? And, you know, there's a couple ways to acquire this master skill. One is to be very observant and astute and figure out, oh, well, Chris, Chris seems like he can handle more. Like, oh, he likes challenges. He's the kind of guy who likes to climb to the top of mountains and jump out of airplanes. Like he, he, you know, he can be pushed into this fear zone where it's like, oh, you know, maybe Liz is a little bit more um, careful, you know, and more sure-footed in what she does. Like, okay, let me give this person a bigger stretch, that person, let me create a little bit more safety. Like what is you can sort of observe and intuit and figure that out. But there's an easier way to do that is just ask people like magic questions like, hey, Chris, what's the challenge you wish you were being given right now? Or like, what's the challenge you feel up for? Or how much stretch can you handle right now? Like, is this a time when you want like us to, you know, notch it up a few more? Or right now, is this a good time to kind of be a little bit more comfortable and people will tell you the answer to this. So I think this is a master skill. And I think this is one where leaders need a lot of awareness. Like where do you tend to err? Are you someone who errs more towards creating safety or are you someone who kind of creates a lot of stress? That's a Freudian slip. I said stress when I meant to say (laughs) stretch and knowing like, where you tend to be because one without the other is diminishing. Like, you know, we all know what it's like to work for a manager who's all stretch, but no Mm. safety. Stressful, unnerving, um, anxiety producing. People tend to hold back actually rather than move forward. But, you know, if you get a manager who's all safety and no stretch, no what's that there. work experience like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's stagnant. Stagnant. We languish. It's boring. Like both of them end up exhausting for different reasons. And so it's really getting this equilibrium right. But I think it's so important. Like this is critical self knowledge for leaders. Like which do you err on? I know for me, it's I I, I tend to overstretch, not understretch people. Um, I mm. once had someone say. Oh, I guess someone asked this guy, Ben Putterman, I, who I had worked with and managed for like 10 years at Oracle, oh, what's it like to work with Liz? And he's like, oh, Liz will like stretch you, bend, break you. She will step back and let you fail. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so terrible. But, but, <laughs> but I realized that like, I love being stretched. I love being given a lot of leeway. And I assume everyone does until I realized not necessarily. And I've learned, okay, create more safety, figure out what people's comfort level is and go a notch beyond that. But don't just give people like, Hey, you know what? We just put you in charge of this. I know you've never done it before. This is going to be tons of fun. Well, you know, you're going to grow. And so I know this about myself and I do all sorts of things to balance the other side. I relate so much to what you're saying. And I am I'm very similar. I gravitate towards environments that are going to be highly challenging. They're going to push me way outside of my comfort zone. And I have a tolerance for that. And I've had to make an adjustment for myself and my own leadership style to recognize that not everyone has that same inclination. And even at one point I overcorrected and I felt I was giving too much safety and got some feedback like, Hey, like you're like this for yourself, but you're giving too much for your team. Like, you know, and so I'd I'd like to think I've created a better balance, but it's to your point, it's really important to know your own disposition, but also what, like what your team's disposition is as well. It took me a while to figure out that not everyone wants to be managed and led the way I want to be managed and led Mm. that, you know, and I think that is another art form of good leadership is that sensing of what does this person need from me right now for them to be able to do brilliant work. Well said. You mentioned something earlier about asking and questions and like being curious and like the, just asking the question will give you so much insight. And I, I wanted to ask you, um, do you see that there's a, there's a few hats as a leader that you need to wear and you can't be any one of them all the time, but there's, I see there's the coach, there's mentor, and then there's 
supervisor, like leader. And as having the skills to be a really good coach will is asking questions. It's it's trying to extract out from your team like the, whatever knowledge is in there to get you the awareness and them the awareness they need to move forward. Mentor, you know, is providing that kind of consultant guidance of like, here's here's me pouring in a little bit on, like, wh- there's the things, the knowledge that I have from my experience, mistakes I've made. And then that last one being leader, which is here's what I need from you. And like the combination of those three things, knowing when to pull which lever being the, the skill to have. Yes. <laughs> All I can say <laughs> is yes. And <laughs> as you were talking, I thought not only is that true in sports and in the workplace, it's very much true as a parent, like your, your mm. children need different things from you. Some, you know, some days you need to be like, boom, here are the expectations. Here's what I need from you. Step up. You can do this. And other times it's, I need to step back and just figure out what's going on in their world. And sometimes they need a little bit of cheerleading. And, you know, I'm the mother of four children, all now adults. And like, that is really the art form of good leadership, whether it's in the home or the workplace is knowing like what people need from you in that moment. And those roles have to change. Glad you feel that way. I'm I'm barking up the right tree. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. All right, thanks. So I was, I've been thinking about this more and more and more lately uh, and knowing this, like having those three levers and the trick being knowing which one to pull and when and like what are the triggers you know, that as a leader you can identify, like here's the opportunity and like which one of these I should lean into. And it's tough because it requires back to a certain level of situational awareness that you have to have uh, on who you're working with and what where they need to go and what's happening inside of an organization or business that you need to influence. And just a lot to consider and it takes a higher level of awareness, I think, to do that. Well, it does. And let's go back to something we talked about earlier, because someone listening might say, oh, God, that's exhausting. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just trying to master one of those roles. Now I have to be in like three different roles. And then I have to be able to shape shift between them and sense make. And by the way, I don't just lead one person. I've got a team of 10 people. So now the math on this is like, okay, I have 30 different roles that I have to move between. That could be exhausting. Again, there's a quick answer to what good leadership looks like in any one of those scenarios. And the permutations is to ask people like, what do you need from me right now? Like, how can I help you do like, am I more valuable to you as as sort of a coach right now, or do you need direction or like if you've built the trust, people will tell you what they need. Like, oh, actually right now, I just need you to kind of leave me alone and let me know what the outcome looks like. Or actually right now, I need you to coach me through this. Like ask me questions, help me think this through. I need you as a sounding board. And we don't have to do all that sense making. All we have to do is ask a question and listen and people will tell us what they need from us. Well said. And it's back back to being curious and asking questions first, like seek first to understand the scenario, then to impose your understanding on it. Yeah. And I think people need different things from us over time. And, you know, when someone's new, they probably need a lot more direction. And, you know, I heard something, I went to a lecture, um, I was a Stanford professor of Uh, I think it was child psychology was talking about how, you know, when your kids are young, you're very much their manager. You sign them up for classes. You, you know, take them to the meet the teacher. You, you know, go to their sports games. You are very much directing their lives. You're their manager. And what he said is if you want like a healthy relationship with your kids, you want kids who are like fully functioning adults. He said, you have to let them fire you as their manager, and then hire you as their coach. Love that. This was a jaw-dropping moment for me when I'm like, oh, absolutely, that relationship changes. And, you know, you think about that classic teen-parent conflict of like, you don't, you know, don't tell me what to do is like, no, I don't want to take Mandarin. I want to take Spanish. No, you're going to take Mandarin. Mandarin is the, you know... 
And there comes a point where people need to exercise more autonomy and agency over themselves, and they need coaches, not managers. I think the same can be said in the workplace. Like you might need to be someone's manager, but you know, as that relationship evolves, you might need to let them kind of fire you as their manager and then hire you as their coach. Absolutely. That's such a great point. And noticing like in their development, when they've hit that point of, okay, they're, they're capable of running fast and you just need to let them run. And that trigger to know, Hey, this is, it's time to fire myself as that in that role and become more of, of the coach and perhaps the mentor. Uh, and less of the you don't you don't need me to jump in and tell you specifically like these these kind of fundamental things. Now let's just let's go fast together. In addition to the like the switch you need to flip for your team, there's probably a a, a switch to flip for yourself too, right? Sometimes you need to be a leader, and sometimes you need to do the work. And I, I was I've recently was working with some leaders in the in the U.S. Army in the special forces. And one of the guys said something that really resonated with me. And he, he said, he said, sometimes you need to step up and lead. Other times you need to shut up and just lift heavy things. And I was <laughs> like, and he used some different choice words, let me tell you. But he he was, uh, I was like, well, that's really true. You know, there's, there's wearing the, Hey, I need to lead and wear some of these coach mentor, um, and manager hats. And other times you got to get in there and do the work too. Well, and I think it describes the reality of most managers today is there are very few people who have a pure managerial role who don't do work whose work mm. is solely the the management and development of their team like the true kind of general manager most of us are player coaches most of us are leading a team but we also have our work to do a report we have to write a presentation we have to give an analysis we have to do and so we have to be able to move seamlessly between these roles. And, you know, it's one of the things I found in these impact players is they weren't just take charge leaders. Like that wouldn't surprise me that the impact players of the workplace are people who step up and lead. What did surprise me is their willingness to step back and follow. That their model of leadership was fluid. It's like you step up, you lead when there's a leadership vacuum, a void But when that service is provided, you then step back. It's like um, kind of the way they work was like a flock of geese where one bird flies to the front of that V formation. And that V formation is what allows a flock to fly further. I think the scientists say it's like 71% further than solo flight. So one bird goes and does like the hardship, performs like the hard work of leading But it's not like that bird says, oh, great, I've been promoted to the head of the flock and that they stay there leading that V formation until they exhaust themselves and, I don't know, drop inexplicably from the sky. They they lead for a time and then that bird rolls to the back and another bird comes forward, which is what allows the flock to fly efficiently and continuously now, this is not the model of leadership we have in most organizations. We follow, um, there's, uh, there's a game show, uh, the Wheel of Fortune. Like, I think it, back in its early days, instead of money, you got prizes. And there's this motto, it's like, once you get a prize, it's yours to keep. You can't lose it. Well, that's what I think a lot of people have felt about leadership roles. Like, you've been promoted into a leadership position, and now it's yours for life. Like, mm-hmm. and you have to hold on to that position and rise up the, the V formation of the pyramid and and you've got to like hold on to that position and i think the work that we do today needs people okay yeah we might need a, a managerial structure and some permanence in that but people see leadership as more ephemeral and more powerful it's like you know what right now we need someone to lead this initiative so spearhead it great you know what marcus you're on that marcus does that and then as soon as that work is done marcus kind of rolls back and somebody else steps up. It's like these impact players are people who would, let's say, go into a one o'clock meeting and be the boss. Like, you know what? Okay, here's what we need to do. They lead. They're very comfortable. They take charge. They lead their peers. They lead their bosses. Like they're very much in charge, but then the meeting is over. And then they walk down the hall to the two o'clock meeting where they're not the boss of that 
issue, that conversation, they fall into a follower role and they do it with the same energy and contribution with which they lead. They move seamlessly, fluidly between Mm. leader and contributor. And when organizations can have people flowing in and out of leadership roles, it does a lot of things. One, you move faster. You cover hot issues more thoroughly. People who are constantly tapped to lead and get exhausted because they're always in charge, they get a little break. And people who are underutilized and exhausted because they have more contribution and capability than they're being able to put into use, like they are energized because they get opportunities to lead as well and increases agility and speed. Yeah. And you create this more, this developmental environment where you have just an exponential higher level of growth from, from everyone and fulfillment because they get to challenge, be challenged and step into those roles in, in different times. So it's a, it's a mutually beneficial approach versus the kind of traditional hierarchical, like this person leads every meeting. Yeah. I mean, in some ways we need to channel like our, our third grade experience. Do you remember how leadership was uh, doled out in third grade? It wasn't like, okay, we identified the leaders here and we put them in charge of things. There was a list of duties on the Mm. board and there was like a list of names. And I don't know, it was with like little popsicle sticks or boards or things, but then, you know what? Maybe Sunir was the one who was the the person who took everyone out to recess and did it for a week. And then that job rotated to someone else. And then there was like a whole bunch of jobs that needed to be done. And it rotated amongst the students and it gave everyone a chance to lead something. Yep. I think it's a healthier model. Yeah. Something came up for me, uh, thinking of like situational dependency and, and different times, maybe for a business based on their challenges and when you'd want leaders and, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you if you can relate to this or you you know about it, but it reminded me of Winston Churchill in uh, World War II when he, I don't know if you're familiar, where he got tagged in because of his unique characteristics as a leader to lead during the wartime. And then once the you know the war got to a you know, conclusion, they they pulled him out of that role. And they they recognized like he's got a skill set that would be perfect for leading in this environment, but he wasn't going to sustain as leader. And I Maybe there's something to that too, and knowing like, hey, we have a particular challenge that we're faced with, like who is most equipped for that challenge and not a blanket um, overall leadership role. Absolutely. Like we, you know, there are wartime leaders and peacetime leaders and we Mm -hmm. rise. I think to do that well, we have to not only embrace people stepping up and lead, we have to embrace the process of stepping back and not see it as stepping down from leadership. It's like, I have performed my service and now it's time for somebody else to, to step in and take a role that it reminds me of. So I have a favorite, um, column, like my sort of favorite all-time column. It happens to be one of my favorite columns, is David Brooks at the New York times. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, um, read his books. Familiar. His column, he yeah. wrote this one column and it was called the summoned the summoned life, either the summoned life or the summoned self. And it was probably back in 2000 and I want to say 12 or 13. And he talked about two very different approaches to life. And one he called like the well-planned life. And that is, who do I want to be? What do I want to be? Let me kind of set my goals and let me plan out my contribution. Here's like the mark I want to make on the world. And he said, you know, that's a legitimate path and a path of success and contribution and service. He said, but there's another path. And he called it the summoned life. And that Mm. was walking through life, aware of what's happening around and seeing a need and then filling that need. This was very much the, the approach taken by the impact players. Well, not that they weren't goal oriented, It's that they moved through the organization and through the day or the week saying, like, where could I be useful? And a willingness to see a need and step in and fill that need. And they end up creating extraordinary value by being, by letting a situation summon them into leadership. 
Mm. Being aware enough to know that that's what's going on around you instead of fixed into like, I need to move from point A to point B over time. Uh, it's it's being a little bit more acutely aware of you know, what are the, the needs and the, the receptors around you that you should latch onto. Yeah. And in some ways it's, uh, it's seeing passion less as a noun and more as a verb, mm. meaning being less concerned about like, what's my passion? What's my purpose in life? What am I passionate about? And, and seeing a need and then working passionately to fulfill that, like being in touch enough with your own capabilities and gifts that you can apply them in service of a situation. And it is a path of incredible contribution. Love it. Liz, thank you so much for, for sharing all this, this knowledge. It's clear that you have a lot to offer in this space. Uh, if people want to check out your stuff or learn more about what you're working on, where can they find you? Well, you can find um, some information about me or my team at thewisemangroup.com. And of course, um, you can find at that website, you can find information about the books, multipliers, rookie smarts, impact players. They're all available on Amazon and in various places. All right. Well, definitely go check it out if you guys are interested. I, def- I recommend from my own experience, Liz's work. Uh, Liz, if you could have our listeners take away just one thing from the podcast today, what would it be? You know, I think if there's one thing I've learned studying people who are highly impactful and highly influential, it's that in situations that seem very much out of our control, we actually have a lot more control than it may seem. And that our colleagues, our clients, our stakeholders want us to take control. Like we, we have more power than it might seem. And leadership is about seeing that need and exercising that power. Well said. Thank you again for being back on the One Thing Podcast after nearly going on five years. So it's great to have you back on here. Different host, but appreciate your time, Liz. Chris, thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.